And open up your Bibles to Galatians chapter 5. I will be finishing up this book over the next three weeks. We will finish up with chapter 5 today. Next week we'll do the first ten chapters of chapter 6 and then we'll bring it to a close. We're going to start in verse 6 of chapter 5. We're going to read one verse, then go to verse 13 and read it to chapter 6, verse 1. Let's listen to God's word. Paul says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Verse 13. For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit against the flesh. For they are opposed each to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, and jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another, Chapter 6, verse 1, and we'll close. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watching yourself, lest you too be tempted. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, again, like always, for your word. And uh, we ask you to bless the preaching of the gospel today, Father God. And everything we put our hands to, Father God. Let your Son be glorified, Father God. Open up our minds to understand what Paul is saying here, God. Give us understanding, Father God. Let us truly see what Paul sees, Father God. Let us truly see what's taking place in the spiritual realm, Father God. And encourage us and show us where we are walking in the Spirit, Father God. And also for any blind spots in our life where we might be falling short and the flesh is taken over, God, help us in these areas of our life, Father God. Teach us to be pleasing to yourself, Father God. Equip us with every good and perfect gift, Father God, so that we can do your will. In Christ's name. Amen. Terry, gather As we go through this text, as we've been going through it, you know, I camped out in here a couple of weeks ago uh, for the purpose of showing a couple of different things that really, if you're not studying it, if you're unfamiliar with 
Paul, if you're unfamiliar with the book of Galatians, you really could miss out on. Because it's easy to read this and read this, uh, this fight between the flesh and the spirit and forget about everything else that is written. And we can sort of, and I've shared this last couple weeks ago when I spoke on this, we can read our own failures, our own weaknesses, uh, our own temptations into the scripture and we can think, well, yeah, sure, that's, that's that fight that's going on. Let me assure you, what Paul is talking about here is not the flesh and the spirit in us, the Holy Spirit and the flesh going at it. Please understand that is not what's going on over here. You cannot fight God and win. The fight is, this flesh is going this way and the spirit's taking us in another direction. It's not a head-on collision where they're both putting up their dukes. This is about, are you going to serve God, as Joshua said, for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, or am I going to serve my own desires the rest of my life? That's what's going on over here. Am I going to walk with a sort of a glance at God, but my back is turned towards Him? Or am I going to walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in the full direction of God? Am I going to live a life that glorifies God, and serving God, and serving my fellow men? That's what's taking place here. This is not this turmoil like someone's wrestling with a pillow all night. No, should I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I, shouldn't I? Oh my goodness. To be sure, there are times in our life where we do fight. And I'm going to speak about that tonight. But as I spoke about a couple of weeks ago, this is, uh, this is not just individual, it's more communal. It's more about how is a community coming together. We got Jews and Gentiles both coming out of uh, the ancient world, they're coming into this new place, it's called it's uncircumcision, that was the Gentile world, and circumcision, that was the Jewish world, they were both coming together, and they're forming this new creation. The law of Moses is gone, there are no rules, there are no regulations anymore. How do people, how did to get along with each other? In a religious context, people are used to rules and regulations. The pagan had his rules and regulations and his superstitions. The Jews had over 600 of them. And now here they come and Paul's saying, no, you don't need anything no more to rule. What rules now is love. It's faith expressing itself through love. That, that's what really is supposed to be. Well, the human heart is slow to learn. We all know that. And uh, though it's clear in Scripture, and we know it in our heart, that's what God wants us to do. We can easily struggle when it comes to it. So as I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago on, the, on the, the corporal sense, I'm going to speak about it more on the individual and the theological sense today because there's something that's missed in here if we don't listen carefully of what Paul is teaching us. I want to review two things I, I spoke about last time. And it's what we bring into this understanding of Galatians. Anytime we read the Old Testament, anytime we read the New Testament, we have the unfortunate... Uh, propensity of reading our 21st century mindset into the Bible. Great mistake. We have to really slow down and listen to what's going on in an historical context for us to understand. Everything in the ancient world was based on community. There were no lone ranges. You didn't make it on your own. You had to always rely on community. 
our 21st century mindset. You know, we're into our individual uh, individualism. We like our time alone. We like to keep our space. We like to put up walls. We like our fences. We like do not disturb. We like keep off the grass. We like to set up our signs. We can do that with written words. We can do that with just the way uh, our persona is. And we can sort of be territorial. I know there's nobody in here like that. We are Americans. It, is, it stinks. It comes with the culture. And as Christians, we have to break that down. Because we bring that into it, and that's not what's going on over here. These men and women were coming from diverse backgrounds. The, the Jew who got converted couldn't go back to Judaism. They counted you as dead. You, have the, you had to recant on Christ and come back into Judaism. To be a Christian, a, 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 a Jewish convert, and try to go back into the Jewish synagogue, if you're familiar with the Gospel of John, and John's been going through that, and we'll get into that when we get into the 7th, 8th, and 9th chapter, that there was a threat to any Jew who believed in Christ, they were thrown out of the synagogue. What does that mean to you and me today? It means nothing. But if you were a believer today and you lost your job of 20 years, what would that mean to you? You lost your 401k? You lost all your retirement. You lost your savings account. You lost your car. And you lost your business. Now identify with what that meant by being thrown out of the synagogue. To be a Jew and out of the synagogue was to be lifeless. Where do I go now? Well, the pagan had its own pecking order. And to be a pagan and leave the pagan culture with its household deities and its, its uh, little uh, shrines and its pantheon of gods and so on and so forth was the same thing. There was nowhere to go. So where do Christians go? To the Christian church. And we serve one another in love. That's how we eat. If you're familiar with the New Testament, everywhere you go, it's the, the Christian ministering to the Christian. There was no aid outside the Christian church. There was only threats. So please understand that. So what Paul has here is a small context of people coming together from diverse backgrounds, and they're to live together in harmony. Well, you know how it is. When people get around each other for prolonged periods of time, they start to irritate one another. Am I right? There has to be some kind of rule that governs society. At work, you might not like your neighbor at work, but you're not going to say nothing because you don't want to lose your job. There are certain lines you cannot go over Otherwise, you have the threat of maybe losing a job or maybe not getting that promotion and so on and so forth. So there are rules that govern society. But there are no rules here. It's the Christian church. It's a free-for-all. But Paul says, don't use your freedom to sin against one another or to engage the flesh. Paul is basically saying what he told the Corinthians and I'm going to show you this point that most people miss. I'm going to read it first and I'll show it to you. I'm going to read verses 13, 14, and 15. And then I'm going to read verse 24. Okay? For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom in Christ as an opportunity to engage your sinful desires. But through love from now on, serve one another. For Paul says, for the whole law is summed up in this one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is what pleases God. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Verse 24. I mean, verse 26. Let us not become conceited, 
provoking one another, envying one another. Well, does that mean anything to you, the text I just read? Well, if you thought of a parenthesis, 13, 14, 15 are one parenthesis. And it's talking about not biting, devouring one another. Verse 26 is the other parenthesis. Don't be conceited, envying another one another, provoking one another. Are you with me? Inside the parenthesis is how we are to live. And we walk by the Spirit. That's what Paul does in 1 Corinthians 13. Between chapter 12 and chapter 14, there's this big diversity on the spiritual gifts. But they weren't exercising the greatest gift, love. I'll show you a better way, Paul says. Don't worry about the gift of tongues. Don't worry about the gift of prophecy. They're all going to cease one day when the perfect comes. But the only thing that remains is love. The only thing that remains. Chapter 13 is a timeout in the Corinthian correspondence which Paul says, whoa, you're getting it all mixed up over here. You're putting the gifts above the, uh, the virtues of Christ over here. Forget about that. Desire the gifts, but pursue love. That's what he's doing here. Verse 15, don't bite and devour one another. Verse 26, don't provoke one another. Don't envy one another. In between, he says, I'll show you a better way. Walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's community all the way. Community all the way. But we like to read our own personal life's stories, our own personal struggles into it. And we've got to be extremely careful of that. I shared this a couple weeks ago. How do we know we're walking in the Spirit? Well, I said this a couple weeks ago. What do people think about you? Are you bringing, I, I ask every Christian here, do you have the ability to bring a quality of life into someone else's life? It doesn't mean that you struggled with something last night. If I'm struggling with something in my flesh, doesn't mean I have to come in here and take it out on every other Christian. I can still come in here and love you. I can still come here and have an encouraging word for you. I can still come in here and mourn with those who mourn. I can rejoice with those who rejoice. I can still be a help. I still have gifts. I still have talents. I'm still a human being. I still have something profitable to give to another human being, even though God is working on an area of my life. Just because there's tension at home, just because there's tension at work, just because there's tension in my health, doesn't mean I have to come in here and be a hindrance. Are you with me? That's what's going on. It's corporate life. How are we doing corporately? I want to speak more today about the individual side of it because there is a personal struggle that goes along with this and how to maintain a life of purity. When rules and regulations and religious laws have ceased to exist, and I'm free in Christ. And you are annoying me. <laughs> How am I to respond? Well, the fruit of the Spirit says, long-suffering and patience. That we don't take personalities and we don't take inventories. We truly have the cross before us at all times. And I respond not by feelings. I respond by what Christ has done for me. That is the only answer for this world. The Christian church has to respond for what Christ has done in them. 
He says here, and from now on, Christians are not to follow the law, that is follow the law of love, not the, the teachings of Moses, but we are to expound not on a code of law. Listen to me. When the Bible is opened, please don't miss this. When we open up the Bible and someone starts to speak, we don't start to explain just rules and regulations. We are bringing before you a person. His name is Jesus Christ. You should get a picture in your mind's eye and in your heart every time a sermon is given. We should see Christ a little more clearer, with a greater understanding. That's what changes our heart. Not a bunch of do's and don'ts. We want to, don't want to moralize the gospel. It's about a person. The concerns that Paul had for his congregation then are still with us today. Let's take a look at how the Apostle deals with these issues. There are five truths that I want to pull from here. I'm just going to mention them. I'm not going to speak about them. I'm going to speak about walking in the Spirit tonight. But I do have to show you five truths on how the Apostle deals with a congregation that has no rules, there's no regulations, there are no laws except the law of love, which is the law of Christ. What is to keep us on the straight now? What is to keep us really? I mean, what, what, what's to keep me to not to sin? No one's looking against me. No one's watching me. There's no spiritual police. But what's to keep me on the straight now? I'm going to show you five and then I'll speak about walking in the Spirit. There's five truths to draw from regarding living for God without laws. Uh, verse 6 and verse 14 as we just read I'm going to read them again patiently let's go through this for in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love verse 14 for the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself can you put up 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 verse 9 now concerning brotherly love, you have no, no, no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. The first truth when it comes to living a Christian life without any rules, regulations, laws is this. Spontaneously, God has given us love in our heart for one another. It comes with being saved. It comes with it. Not to have a genuine concern for another human being is to fight regeneration. It comes with being born again. It's not something you have to muscle up. As a matter of fact, it would be something you'd have to fight against not to do. A genuine concern for another Christian is the most natural thing for another Christian. Not to do that is to fight the Holy Spirit. Period. That's how we do it. The, the, the word means here, it means to be a slave controlled by nothing else but a genuine concern for other people. That's why we don't need laws. That's why Paul says here, against the fruit of the Spirit, there is no law. Jesus says to the Pharisees, what crime have I done? What sin do you, you bring before me? What charge do you bring before me? You can't. I, I've walked in the fruit of the Holy Spirit all my life. You can't bring a charge against me, Christ is saying. There's no law against love. You see, law is against the deeds of the flesh. And this is why. The deeds of the flesh are destructive 
to other people besides ourselves. But the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, humility, patience, self-control, that has everybody else's best interest in it. It's edifying, it's encouraging, you don't need a law. We don't want the day to come where we say, well, don't love your neighbor as yourself. Have you ever heard even a politician or a philosopher say such a cruel thing, foolish thing? Everybody loves to quote that. Love your neighbor as yourself. Against that, there is no law. Verse 21 is the second truth. I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things, excuse me, <coughs> who live in habitual, constant sin, will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the second thing is a stern rebuke, a stern rebuke against a cavalier attitude towards sin. It's important to see that. That those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Every true believer knows this. We need to hear this once. That is all. I don't have to hear this over and over again. For the, for the believer, the kingdom of God and eternal life is everything. To think that we would lose salvation by continually living in sin is beyond the true Christian's heart. A Christian can for sure fall into sin. But understand something. Uh, a cavalier attitude where, ah, no big deal. Nah, I'll just repent. Uh, I'll continue to sin that grace may increase. Absolutely not. When a Christian falls into sin, it hurts. And that's why chapter 6 verse 1 says, If anybody is caught into a trespass, restore them. Let's follow. The third thing, verse 24. <clears throat> and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Paul gives a reminder of the sufficiency and efficacious nature of Christ's death over the sinful nature. This is a forgotten and misunderstood truth. I want to read it again. And those who belong to Christ, this is what Paul's saying, this is what he's thinking. You don't have to be led by the desires of the flesh anymore. Listen, don't you know that those who belong to Christ, that those who put their faith in Christ, that those who've been born again, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? You don't have to live under the tyranny of the flesh anymore. To the Christian, oh, thank you, Lord. Though I'm struggling today, I know there's hope for tomorrow. I thank you, God, that my passions have been crucified with Christ. Though my mind can't comprehend it, I wrap my faith around that truth, that promise that I don't have to live under the tyranny of the sinful nature anymore. You see, an unregenerate person, well, Paul puts it another way, to the pure, all things are. You see, so what I just spoke, what Paul just spoke here in verse 24, to the pure, if you're born again, you close your eyes and you say, praise God. Praise God. But to the skeptic, to the critical person, oh yeah, what does that mean? And all they're thinking about is continually sin, how weak they are. No, 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 no. To the pure, all things are pure. You can be so far weak, but yet when you hear those promises that those who are with Christ have crucified their passions and desires, understand something. It births hope and mercy in our hearts. Am I right? 
So we're going through this over here just to show you what's going on behind there. This is how a believer lives. Without rules, without regulations, without laws to dictate how we are to live and to please God. We are taught by the Holy Spirit how to please God. In chapter 6, he says this. <clears throat> Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, after chapter 5, it doesn't mean people don't fall into sin. You're a Christian, I'm a Christian, anybody can fall into sin. Anybody can be overtaken. That's what the word means, overtaken. It doesn't mean we walk around trying to catch people in the bar. You know what I mean? I saw you. We saw you. We went out on a witch hunt the other night, and we saw you. I've heard that. I've, I've heard that. I've heard that. I was accused of that. There's someone saw me coming out of a bar. How sad. I was like, because we're the sick are. It's the sick that need a physician, not the healthy. Where am I going to go? To church? They're just the sick. I preach there on Sunday. I preach there on Thursday. I preach there on Monday. The rest of the week I'll go to the bar. People are crazy. But here, listen to this. If anyone is caught in a transgression, I'm going to speak about that all next week. Anyone who's caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. When a Christian is overtaken by a sin, it's restoration, not destroy. It's not, I told you so. It's not, how could you? It's not, were you weak? What is this, a... a a sign of how weak your character is, and you've got no will, you've got no will, you got no, where's your faith? It has nothing to do with that. That's why Paul gives a stern warning. But do it and be careful, lest you too be tempted. Don't get self-righteous. Don't think you're above the flesh. Remember it's by grace. Remember it's daily bread that's floating you over here. Don't think for a moment you can do it without God's grace. Come next week, you'll enjoy it. So, as Christians... What Paul is teaching us in this chapter is that even though there's no more laws, there's no more rules, there's no more regulations, we are self-governing. A Christian, we have the hope of glory Christ in us. We never would want to forfeit heaven. Never. We have imbued into our hearts with the new birth a genuine love for other people. We need to exercise that. We know that Christ... Has, been, has crucified our sinful desires. That's to the pure, all things are pure. There's a, always a hope of overcoming every weakness in our heart. And if the worst, worst comes and we get caught up in the transgression, I can rest assured that those who are mature will restore me and not destroy me. Are you with me, guys? That's how the Christian church deals with sin. That's how we live in harmony with one another, without rules, regulations, and laws. That's how we do it. But let's get into what it means by walking in the Spirit. But I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Several things can be said about these verses. Listen to this. Paul is affirming something here. The efficacious nature, and I want to explain that. It's, it's having the power to produce a desired effect. That's what the word means. Efficacious. Having the power to produce a desired effect. What is God's effect to shape and mold us into the image of? Who's the power source to do that? Is he 
And does he have the power to do it? Absolutely. And what Paul is saying here, he's stating a promise. And this is how it can be translated. Keep on walking, this is how it says in the Greek, keep on walking in the Spirit and you will not, you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. There's no fight here. There's no torment going on. If we walk in the Spirit, the promise is you will not, I will not, as a corporate body, we will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. It's impossible because the Spirit's desires are contrary to the flesh's desire. They're opposed to one another. Understand this, what the word means. Be opposed. To have a strong hatred for. The Spirit is bent on changing us into the image of Christ. And nothing's going to stop. Death can't stop that. As a matter of fact, that's the last stage on the potter's wheel. When it comes to being transformed into the image of Christ, we like to see him on the potter's wheel. Understand something. When death comes, the potter's wheel is over. You are instantly transformed in the image of Christ. Flesh destroys. The fruit of the Spirit builds up. But let, let me, what's the driving force in our life? I'll ask you today. What's the driving force in your life? Is it to be like Christ? Or just to be a better you? Is it to be like Jesus? Or listen to this. Or have a better life? Are, are you into this for a better life? You come to the wrong place. Man. You're in the wrong, wrong place. If you want to honor God and glorify God, you're in the right place. That is what it's about. If it has anything to do with me, myself, and I, instant failure, the flesh profits nothing, Jesus says. It profits nothing. Paul says it's all rubbish. I'm going to speak about that, but I want to speak about another thing first. And walking in the Spirit is not a technique. It's not a three-part sermon on how to walk in the Spirit. I don't get up and say, mm, Holy Spirit, mm, fill me, Holy Spirit. It's not a technique. It can be a prayer. It's not a three, four, five-part sermon and walking in the Spirit. Understand something. It's relational. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's not the low man on the totem pole. He represents the triune God in all His glory and all His power. He's a person. He wants to be treated as a person. Not as an influence. Not as the Jehovah Witnesses treat Him or the Mormons treat Him. Understand something. He is real. He's alive. And prayerfully, He's living in you. It's all relational. Walking in the Spirit is relational. That means you have to speak. You have to pray. You have to sing. You have to listen. You have to seek. You have to communicate. He knows our personal weaknesses. Listen to me. Each and every one of us, we're all weak in the flesh. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, searches the deep things, even the things of God. No one knows his own spirit but a man. The Holy Spirit knows everything about you. Everything. He knows every failure, 
He knows really you're, you're really weak where I'm really weak. He knows how to whisper your name like nobody else. He knows how to love you like nobody else. He knows how to strengthen you like nobody else. He knows that sometimes Christ, uh, uh, sanctification would be nice if it was all a straight line, wouldn't it? But many times our sanctification is like this. It's, it's, it's all, you don't know, it's like a maze. But the Holy Spirit knows that and He's kind to us. And He takes us through our maze. Are you with me? That's why we've got to be patient with each other. We're all in different chapters over here. And God knows how to deal with us. Let's be patient with one another. Let's encourage one another. Let's speak to love. Let's speak the truth to each other in love and build one another up and, 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 and edify one another. He knows how to encourage us personally. He knows the personal language of our hearts. Some people are very emotional in their life, in their Christianity. Other people are very astute. But the Holy Spirit knows the language of both people's hearts. Whether it's the charismatic with his hands up in the air and dancing around, the tambourines, praise God. The Holy Spirit knows that person's heart. Whether it's the deep-thinking deep Calvinist, just stroking his beard and just loving deep and happy reflection, just sitting under a tree thinking about the great doctrines of grace. God knows how to speak to his language. Whether it's the intellectual, whether it's the peasant, whether it's the pauper, whether it's the, the illiterate, the Holy Spirit knows your language. He knows how to speak to you. If you don't know how to read scripture, He knows how to read it for you. If you don't know how to sing, He knows how to sing in you. He knows how to lead, He knows how to strengthen, He knows how to sustain us. He knows how to communicate the Father's will to us. And only a true believer knows this language. Listen, neither Paul nor Christ, and Christ in John chapter 14, 15, and 16, where he does most of his teaching on the Holy Spirit, listen, he never explains the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The best explanation of the ministry of the Holy Spirit that Christ gives, he gives this uh, illustration. The wind blows to and fro. You can see it, but you don't know where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone who's born of the Spirit. Bottom line, that's it. I'm not saying another word about it. Because when you're born again, it's, it's self-revealing. You know. You know you're loved by God. You know your sins are forgiven. You know you're on the right path. You know God is for you and not against you. It's, it's, it's intuitive. It's like, as I was thinking about this over the last several days, I was it's like... Not so much human nature, but like in the animal kingdom, you don't have to give uh, any kind of understanding to a, an animal that's going to have a baby. It, you just have a baby. You just, you just, a, a, a deer has a foe. That's all. That's it. You don't have to explain it. They, they just have it. It's natural. And that's how it is to be born again. It's natural. And all I need now and all you need now is God to give me the guidelines on how to honor Him. The Holy Spirit knows how to communicate God's perfect moral will. And that's what's going on over here. Paul says it somewhere else this way. He says, And to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual form of worship. Being led by the Holy Spirit is relational. It's becoming a living sacrifice. Understand something. Otherwise, Christianity, whether it's corporate or personal, becomes cold, mechanical, dead it is dead 
Let's move on. I can say more about the Word of God. Walking in the Spirit is a metaphor. It's a great metaphor for spiritual life. It's about progress. In the ancient world, he, if, if there was planes, he, said, he could have said, take a plane. He could have said, flying in the Spirit. Well, some people like to believe that. That it's, you know, you get some kind of double blessing of the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden your troubles are all gone, and, you know, the next day you're sanctified, and, you know, you're so filled with the Holy Spirit that you never have to come down to earth again. You never have to go through temptation again. You never have to go through weakness again. That, it, that's way out there stuff. It's way out there. Please understand something. Nothing could please me more, or God, that you have all the raptures of heart with the Holy Spirit. But you still have to learn to live by faith. You still have to learn to apply the Word of God to your life. Yesterday's blessing is beautiful in my life. But I have to wake up today, put my feet to the ground, and say, God, give me daily bread. Amen. Did anybody do that today? Oh, we might have said it in different words, but isn't that the way we live? It's a metaphor for spiritual life. It's a step-by-step -step progress. Walking in the Spirit, when it comes to application, is a moment-to-moment -moment reality in our life. That's what walking in the Spirit is. It's being sensitive to what pleases God. I'm a Christian. My life is about pleasing God. Period. Are you a Christian? That is the ideal for your life. Paul says it clearly in other places. That you may know what pleases God. There should be nothing else in a Christian's heart than the desire to glorify God and to please Him. Anything else that comes in and blocks that reality is, uh, how can I say, it's a detour. We find our strength in the desire to please God. And should I tell you why we desire to please God? Because He loved us first. It comes with salvation. As the Word of God is broken down, and we start to understand more clearly what God desires for all of us, what Paul is talking about here is the moral will of God. The moral will of God is the same for every Christian. It's not different for me than it is for you. The rules are the same for all of us. We are called to live in the moral will of God. He gives us a desire to please Him. We depend on the Holy Spirit and not ourselves. We believe, as Paul says in this very chapter, he says... Did we receive the Spirit by, in chapter 3? Did we receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? When a man is born again, he has everything he needs. If a woman's born again, they have everything they need right there instantaneously to start living a life that's pleasing to God. Instantaneously. You don't need anything else. You just need to be around some solid gospel teaching. Some good mentorship. Where you can imitate people who imitate Christ. You can see the Christian life being worked out before you in the eyes of leadership and other Christians. Paul calls them in chapter 6 those who are spiritual. Those who have the fruit of the Spirit. But this brings me to some real application of walking in the Spirit. 
after 22 years and, you know, observations and being a minister for a while now, the real question is not how we walk in the Spirit. I want you to know something. Walking in the Spirit is not hard. So I'm going to ask you something. You having a hard time walking in the Spirit? I'm telling you right now, it's not hard. It is not hard. The real question is, what is hindering us from walking in the Spirit? What's, what's quenching the Spirit in our life? As we spoke Monday night at the Men's Fellowship, we, we bring this up. What's stifling? Why is, I ask you now, is your Christian life hard? Is it hard? What is stifling walking in the Spirit? What is stifling from loving people? What is stifling from caring about other people? Many people can live self-controlled lives and, 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 and not let the, the, the scandalous nature like sexual sin and drunkenness and all this stuff, cursing, they can control that. But understand something about the fruit of the Spirit. It's inward and it's otherward. There's peace, joy, and love. That's inward. There's a sense of peace and contentment in my heart. Everything else is otherward. Patience, I don't need patience for myself, I need patience with other people. Gentleness, that's a submissive heart to authority and, and to all, all Christians. It's a, a considerate spirit towards all other Christians. Self-control is a mastery of, yes, of my own desires under the influence of the Holy Spirit. But it's either inward or it's otherward. What is controlling our life? What is hindering us from walking in the fullness of the Spirit? With your eyes closed, I'll ask you this question. Do you feel like you're truly walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Is there joy, peace, and love in your heart? Is there gentleness, kindness, and goodness, and patience towards other people? Are you self-controlled over those lower, lower nature of your heart? Then what's hindering that? That's the issue. It's not walking in the Spirit. The Spirit is not impotent. The Spirit is not deaf. The Spirit is not blind. The Spirit is not unwilling. The Spirit is not incapable. The Holy Spirit loves to lead. The Holy Spirit is here to lead us into all truth. Then what is stifling your personal life? This is a personal thing. I know the things in my life that can stifle the Holy Spirit. I know where I'm weak. I know what I have to bring before the Lord on a daily basis. Do you? Every work of the Spirit of God on the believer's heart is for this reason. Intimacy. Intimacy means closeness, inseparability, familiarity, nearness. You know what the opposite of intimacy is? It's distance. The major unifying and underlying component of the deeds of the flesh is this. Selfishness. That's why people, that's why you and I lived in the deeds of the flesh. We were selfish human beings. The opposite of the fruit, the opposite is the fruit of the Spirit, which is inward or Godward, otherward, where we truly have other people at the center of our lives. 
I believe that the greatest threat to a healthy and thriving spiritual life, please hear this, the greatest threat in this room to your thriving spiritual life, which is being blessed with the fruit of the Spirit, there is no greater blessing than being blessed with all the fruit of the Spirit. Is a fear of intimacy with God and other people. After much prayer, knowing the scriptures, knowing life, the Bible promotes this reality everywhere. Intimacy. Do you remember what happened in the garden? Do you remember what happened when Eve and Adam sinned? They had no relationship with God and they had no relationship with who? With each other. Prior to sinning, they were both naked and unashamed. And as soon as they sinned, they covered up their shame and they blamed one another. They weren't close anymore. There was a distance between them. Intimacy cost, and the price is dying painfully to ourselves. That is the greatest hindrance to Christians today. Maybe some bad Bible teaching, but the greatest hindrance to walking in the Spirit is our fear of getting close to God and other people. We are not called to try to live this Christian life on ourselves. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have removed the fear of intimacy by your grace, God. And that, Father, we've been born again with a person, the Holy Spirit. We cry, Abba, Father, through the Spirit of Christ in us, Father God. We are all sons and daughters now. Come and break down the dividing walls, Father God. Teach us to draw closer to you in prayer, in praise, and in, in, in study, Father God, to enjoy you, to love you, Father God, and to easily walk by the Holy Spirit as you break down those distractions in our life, God, and so many distractions in our life could be, Father God. Come and break down the distractions. I ask everybody now, your eyes closed, what are the known distractions in your life? From a deeper walk with God. Is it procrastination? Is it a fear of Intimacy, is it a fear of being transparent with other people? Is it a fear of change? Ask the Lord to come and help you in Christ's name.